From jet engines to space rockets, telephones to computers, the world has seen spectacular change in the last hundred years, and the pace of progress is getting faster and faster. From electric cars to the metaverse, drone deliveries to climate solutions and genetic sequencing, we're investing in the companies that are not just changing the world today, but are also shaping the future. The Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust, managed by Bailey Gifford. Invest in progress. Capital at risk. Hello, I'm Wealth Manager Ross Miller, and I recently invited CEO of Gresham House, Tony Dalwood, to the CityWire studios. We discussed what changes he's seen in the industry since taking his current role in 2014, as well as how the sustainability agenda has changed over the last couple of decades. We also explored natural capital and place-based investing as sustainable investment opportunities, as Gresham House are the largest UK investor in battery energy storage facilities. Here's what he had to say. Okay, Tony, thank you for joining me today. Firstly, you've been CEO of Gresham House since 2014. So what do you think the biggest changes in the industry have been in the last sort of nine, ten years? Well, it's a continuation of trends that have happened probably over the last 20 years, but increasingly uh, accelerated over the last five to ten years. So over the last 20 years, you've seen alternatives come from nowhere in people's asset allocation uh, to typically between 10 and 30 percent. And you can see some uh, portfolios at 50 percent or so. And so alternatives as a whole has been massively uh, on the acceleration path. And that's a massive change for portfolios. I think separately within that, you're starting to see uh, investors, both institutional as well as retail, investing in asset classes that they would never have considered before. So private equity may have been on the agenda 25 years ago, 3i, Electra, if you wanted private equity. But now, uh, if people want to go into alternatives, they've got the choices across uh, from, from housing through to uh, infrastructure into um, uh, other private equity, definitive private equity of, of regional private equity or mid-market low buyouts, venture capital. And of course, into renewables. So not just solar and winds, but you have battery storage, which we may touch on later. So you've just got this plethora of different types of alternatives. So one one is a big step change in, in alternative allocation, uh, and then two is the actual detail on sort of alternatives you get exposure to. Okay, and I guess another big part of that is sustainability as well, um, on the ESG side, like another big trend that you would have seen grow. So since you joined the industry, which was 20, 30 years ago, how has that changed and where do you see it, see it heading? 20 or 30 years ago, yes. <laughs> so, um, it's changed immeasurably. If you, again, if you go back 15, 20 years, ESG, environmental, social, governance aspects were on the agenda, but well down the agenda. And, and I'd say only 10 years ago, they started coming up the agenda, particularly pushed by the likes of institutions, uh, local authority pension schemes that wanted to get exposure to um, some of the, the, the good governance aspects that were maybe going on in the world, but also the social and environmental issues that they may have locally uh, that they wanted to address on behalf of their pension members. So in the last 10 years, it's come right up the agenda. Uh, I, I used to sit on a local government pension scheme investment committee uh, and, as, and as a non-executive board member, and I could see it on the agenda 10 years ago, but it wasn't up there. But now, now it's right at the forefront. And, and the things that have changed over the last five or six years is the increasing amount of data that is required, the, the evidence of what carbon emissions may be happening or the, the social uh, the job creation that may be going on. Uh, and then there's the breadth, because, of course, in ESG at one stage just meant the environment, just meant social, just meant governance. But now it means just uh, it encapsulates quite a few things. You know, diversity, equity and inclusion is now included within the, the ESG agenda. And, and, and I think uh, sustainability has gone just far broader uh, in its depth and, and breadth globally. So uh, it's changed enormously on the agenda, but also in its definition. Okay, and you touched there on the breadth of that investable universe now. So where do you see 
the opportunity at the moment. So as an investor, um, opportunities arise typically through price dislocation. So the opportunity to make money out of making investment does depend largely on the price and the valuation you go in into an asset. So whilst there are opportunities within uh, asset classes, which I can touch on in a second, that, that clearly that the changes we've seen over the last six months because the bond market changes and then more recently around the systemic issues that potentially exist as a result of the banking uh, crisis, let's call it, um, has led to price listications in, in many asset classes. That, that is an opportunity. There are several opportunities in many, many listed asset class areas as a result. But separately, um, you know, there are within asset classes for the long term, um, the less competitive areas, the ones where there's less uh, investors looking at it or, or, or more less analysts and fund managers researching it, those are the areas that, that tend to be more inefficient. And when they're more inefficient, the ability to make money out of them and generate superior returns. And those areas, of course, are probably the relatively new areas, whether they be in uh, uh, like sort of timber, um, uh, battery storage, renewables, um, sustainable infrastructure is also on the agenda. These are relatively new as parts of people's portfolios and tend to be less well covered uh, by analysts or fund managers. Okay, and I think within the context, the wider context of the idea of investing sustainably or investing ethically, there's always been this sentiment, or not necessarily across the whole piece, but there's always been a sense of you have to sacrifice returns to be able to invest in a particularly sustainable or ethical way. Where do you think we're at with that? We at Gresham House definitively believe that's not the case, and we can provide some evidence on that. Um, if you just take some of our asset classes, we are the largest forestry asset manager in the UK, um, and uh, increasingly Ireland, we, we've moved international. But if you look at the stats over the last 20, 25 years, we have generated 13 to 14% per annum for investors on average. And that is clearly, you're not giving up returns. And arguably, that is one of the best asset class returns over that period of time. But if you broaden it out to other asset classes that we're involved in, again, just to make the point that um, you don't have to sacrifice returns to, in order to address and improve the sustainability agenda. If you take battery storage, we've, we've had, uh, the, we have the largest listed fund in Europe. Uh, it's it's uh, around a billion pounds worth of net asset value. It's listed on the London Stock Exchange. And importantly, it's been there for about five years. And that, that has generated of the order of 13 to 14% returns uh, per annum uh, compound over, over that period of time. So there are a number of areas which I can give evidence that we haven't had to sacrifice financial returns in order to still generate that, that evolution on energy transition or sustainability. And, and I think uh, one should really recognize that's an important point to underline. You can, there's a need for private capital to come into the markets in order for this country and the globe to evolve into the new world uh, of, of, of sustainability and, and net zero and the climate ambitions that we have. And that private capital is only going to go there if it, gonna, if, it, if it generates a decent financial return. It is generating a decent financial return when you go to good managers and you go into good asset classes. And I think really important that people realize that. Okay, and you touched there on the battery storage fund. So the Gresham House Energy Storage Fund um, is the largest European investor in, in such facilities, did you say? Yeah, yeah, it is the lar we are the largest um, perceived to be the, the largest uh, European investor into energy storage systems. It's on the London Stock Exchange. It's certainly the largest London Stock Exchange uh, listed vehicle in this space. And um, it, was it was launched nearly uh, five odd years ago. And um, Ben Guest, his team have done an exceptional job deploying circa half a gigawatt worth of um, uh, energy storage with a pipeline taking it to well over a, 
a gigawatts. I think the important aspect, though, is that the, the, the visibility and the flight path to much greater energy storage requirements for this, this country and globally in order to move to more renewables um, really needs to be recognised. And if you're going to manage renewables on the grid, you need battery or storage mechanisms of which uh, our battery storage uh, is is one way of doing that. And therefore, you're going to have the, of the order, we estimate, something like 20 times the amount of current deployment over the next f seven years by 2030. And then there'll be more beyond 2030. So there's, there's absolutely a long way to go. Uh, uh, and it, it's an exciting area. It, it's, it's stood the test of the last few years very well. So where is the return generated from in, in such a vehicle? So is it energy being sold back to the grid or is there a, an array of areas where you generate income? They have a number of revenue stacks, but it, but it is broadly that. They are trading um, uh, electricity uh, by you know, s storing up electricity at cheap prices and, and selling it back to the grid. Uh, when it's when it's required and prices tend to be higher. And those intraday movements on pricing, when you have a look at charts, is considerable. And uh, sometimes they go to negative prices on, on the grid and you can charge up at negative prices. So um, that is the primary revenue stream, yeah. Okay, so if you take that, and I think you also mentioned timber, um, I want to know what your views are and guess what is meant by also natural capital, place-based investing in, t in the context of sustainable investment opportunities in the medium and long term. So what exactly is meant by that and where do you see it going? So natural capital is yet to be defined um, uh, effectively. It's, it's a new area, particularly coming up the institutional um, asset class debate. And it's one where it's talking about land-based uh, asset values, uh, the ability to create or capture value from land-related activities. So carbon credits from forestry, timber, planting of new trees, um, uh, biodiversity net gain. So at the moment now in this country, for example, when uh, there's biodiversity loss from developing new properties, you need to offset that somehow and somewhere. And we have uh, environment banks that, that do that. So there's all sorts of potential ways of capturing value from uh, land-based activity. And, and we are, we think we're very much at the forefront of that. But institutions are the one very much asking us about how can we capture that value. But they're at the start of that journey, a bit like five, six years ago, they were at the start of the journey for energy storage, a bit like 10 years ago at the start of the renewables, a bit like 20 years ago at the start of the renewable, uh, private equity story. And they become um, uh, understood and then much better defined and then they go into, asset, into the asset allocation and portfolio. So we're at the start of that journey. We think we've got a lot of the ingredients to give product to, um, uh, to institutions and ultimately quite excited and maybe being able to provide it for the uh, the wholesale retail market for uh, stock exchange investors as well. Uh, it is an exciting area. And of course, that can also move into uh, the uh, like local investment. So level, the leveling up agenda can be uh, addressed or supported, you know, putting some of these assets uh, um, in, in and around regional activities, whether it be digital based or resource efficiency, like vertical farming. We, we're um, developing one of the large, world's largest vertical farms up in Norfolk. Uh, and that helps on resource efficiency. And that, of course, will help that region for both employment in so many ways, logistics, and as, uh, as well as, as um, growing and, and operating that facility. So there's quite a lot of opportunity, both from the levelling up regional local investment through to some of the uh, addressing the sustainability agenda. But of course, you know, natural capital is just one part of that. It's, it's, it's not the agenda, it's one part of the agenda. Okay, so you mentioned a lot of the attention for such vehicles is coming from the institutional world and there's a there's an appetite there, or hopefully an appetite to get it involved um, or get it in front of the retail audience as well, the wholesale retail market as well. What about if you take the classic sort of DFM, private client investment management firm, what sort of role could take the energy storage fund, for example, what sort of role could that play in their portfolios? 
So they can play a role, and, and what can it? But I mean, they they play a role, obviously, supporting the growth of of energy storage. There will be, as I say, twenty times the requirement over the next seven years is estimated. Uh, so as capital is required, supporting that. Um, by new fundraisers that come on the tap issues that come around for battery storage uh, is 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 most welcome. I mean, you're doing you know you're doing good for the environment. Also, the, the returns importantly, you've got you, you've got a seven percent or seven, typically it was a seven percent uh, dividend yield at the outset. It's now because of the pricing. It's you know at five to seven percent, um, uh, but you get a total return over the last few years, as I say, of 14 percent per annum. Why? Because you're getting some yield compression. They're buying uh, projects that are much greater um, uh, discount rate than than uh, is out is is perceived on the seven or eight percent target numbers, and so you're you're basically getting a double digit returns um, from for something that is viewed as also growing. So there's arguments you could see further yield compression and, and generate capital gains whilst you're getting that seven p eight p plus whatever dividends are coming out of that that, that asset class. So it it has a good role for both capital growth and income. Uh, within your portfolios is, is how I would put it. But importantly, you're supporting that long-term sustainability energy transition agenda that is evident. Excellent. Tony, thank you so much for joining me today. And thanks to those who have joined. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.